So my talk today, uh, I prepared for like I prepare for my lectures uh, at the university, which means uh, without nearly enough uh, forethought <laughs> um, and without nearly enough time. I had several ideas all week, and I never really uh, could stick to any of them to figure anything out. So this morning I sat down and tried to smash them all together. So we'll see. <laughs> what comes out. It ended up sort of being one of everything. And even as I was sitting here, I thought, no, maybe I'll do this other one. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Um, mainly, I wanted to talk about um, meditation and discuss a little bit of the kind of phases of meditation practice that I've been through uh, since I started meditating and kind of where I am now and maybe how it relates a little bit to some, uh, to some Zen texts. Um, so recently, uh, maybe in the last uh, six to nine months, something like that, I've started to practice Shikantaza, just sitting, um, almost exclusively. Occasionally I'll do a, few, uh, a couple other things uh, from time to time. But mainly I've just been practicing Shikantaza, which you probably know is the, the main practice in, in the lineage of our Zen center, um, and generally in Soto Zen, uh, of just sitting uh, without necessarily an object, without necessarily counting, without a goal. Um, and it's something that I'd been practicing off and on for, excuse me, for several years, uh, but it's nothing that ever really stuck. I would practice usually when I would come here because I figured, okay, well, this is the Zen center. I'll practice Shikantaza here. Um, but it's something that was I would do occasionally, and I didn't really think much of it or really have a sense of what it was supposed to be or do. And not that I necessarily do now, but I noticed at some point, and I was trying to think of when or why. I don't think it was really a conscious decision. Maybe it was, maybe because I was starting to read more Zen. But at some point, I just realized it's basically all I was doing, and that was satisfying. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a path there. I started with, I'll kind of get it back around to that, to Shikantaza, but um, I've used a lot of other techniques as well, um, mainly from Vipassana, which is um, part of the Hinayana, older Indian tradition uh, techniques, following the breath, uh, counting the breath in several stages, uh, focusing on the breath at the tip of the nose, doing a, a loving-kindness meditation where you... Um, pray for loving-kindness for yourself and for others and a body scan, and um, I noticed that when I have not been sitting very much, uh, or if I skip a few days, or if things are particularly tumultuous for whatever reason, I tend to not want to do shikantaza and will almost always prefer some sort of counting meditation, something to try to focus my mind a little bit more. Um, but other than that, that's mainly what I practice. And it's 
been spurred on a little bit by um, going to over over winter break, over New Year's, I was at Sokokoji Buddhist Monastery in Battle Creek, Michigan. I think several of you were here to meet a few people from there, Sokuzan, their teacher, and a few others. And I was on my way to Chicago, and Battle Creek is almost on the way. Uh, so I stopped there for a few days, and he mainly only... The, the teacher there, he mainly just talks, gives meditation instruction. I shouldn't say that. He talks about a lot of things. but um, And it would been kind of encouraged by his advice, which is don't add to your experience. Don't do anything with what's happening. Just um, you know, do your best to just let it be. And that's helped a little bit of sort of not doing anything. There's no need to try to really recalibrate or do anything. I think just sitting still, especially, like I said, if I've been maintaining um, maintaining my practice with some regularity, uh, it seems enough just to sit still without worrying about too much. Um, so I wanted to read something from the Heart Sutra that I think speaks to this practice of meditation and help me explain maybe why I moved from one to the or one to the other, and why why Buddhism from older Indian traditions, Hinayana traditions, uh, moved to Mahayana traditions um, to connect it a little bit with the Heart Sutra. I thought of this. Um, it's a very nice book on the Heart Sutra by Red Pine. Um, there's a couple of copies sitting over there on the shelf. And the one line is not not birth or destruction, purity or defilement, completeness or deficiency. And the commentary here that I thought was useful about the difference perhaps between um, Hinayana and Mahayana practices. And this is talking about Hinayana Buddhism because it the Heart Sutra is in some, at least it's explained in here, is very much a reaction to and kind of a reformulating of some of the older traditions. And this is talking about the older traditions. Thus, attachments are viewed as burden to be abandoned, as obstructions to be transcended, or here, in the language of the Saravastadevans, who are part of the older tradition, as defilements to be purified. This was the usual view of such things by early Buddhists. The problem with this for later Buddhists, especially those inclined towards the Mahayana, was the practice of repulsion inherent in this teaching. Uh, Repulsion of the idea that you have to get rid of defilement, something like that. Reflecting on this, many concluded that such a negative attitude was just as likely to result in further attachment as in liberation. So you might get attached to liberation, which obviously is going against the point of getting rid of attachments. And I realized this helped me understand perhaps a bit of my practice because when I started to practice, I definitely had a sense that meditation would do something for me and that it was there for a reason. And, I, and I, a big part of it was to help me focus because um, I have a, my attention span uh, is a bit precarious most of the time. And to try to help me focus, I thought meditation would be useful um, since I needed to focus uh, for grad school at the time. And... So you can definitely see yourself when you start to practice this as, uh, you know, the, the, the classic thing of counting up to 10 and then starting over again with your breaths. Um, 
you notice that at least some of the time as you practice, as I practice, I was getting better at it. Um, or so I thought. Now I really question that. Um, but I definitely thought I was getting better at it, so at least it was something to anchor me in it. I think if the first thing that I ever heard was just sit and don't do anything, uh, it would be very, very strange. And I think that... Um, the mind would, uh, I, I would have, my mind just would have been going crazy. And I think it actually would have calmed down in probably a very similar fashion if I had, you know, done the same amount of practice with or without the counting. Now, I, I really think that that's uh, likely. But at least it allows you to get somewhere. But I noticed that there's a lot of uh, attachment in this practice that even though I learned early on one thing that I read early on that I'm glad I encountered was I'm not trying to attain anything or achieve anything you can't really expect anything from meditation okay so on days when my mind is busy I'll let it be busy but on those days when my mind was quiet and I could count a lot I could I, I, there's it was still clearly a kind of attachment there um, so I definitely wanted to, to get somewhere. And even with like the loving kindness meditations, a lot of them talk about that you feel meta, that you feel loving kindness within you. And I would notice when I would practice it regularly that I had some sense of that. Um, and I think the height of this, uh, for me was this kind of practicing this meditation as I did a Vipassana retreat. Uh, through the Goenka um, Vipassana Foundation um, for 10 days, and it was by far the most intensive meditation I've ever done. They do 100 hours of meditation in about 10 and a half days. And they have a very specific technique. For the first three days, you focus on the breath at the point of your nose, and then after that, for the last seven days or so, you're doing a body scan and working on being equanimous and neutral towards all the things that you feel in this body scan. And they, they do tell you, you know, don't get attached to things. Um, there's kind of one way to do the body scan that's pleasurable and one way that requires more patient, patience. And they say, you know, you have to alternate between the two so that you're not getting attached to one or the other. But, you know, after eight, seven or eight days of meditation and this body scan starts to become this like cosmic kind of hallucinatory thing, that's really cool. Um, as I'm telling myself, no, 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 I'm not getting attached to this. But at the same time, um, I was, you know, there's clearly attachment to it. And it was very difficult to go back to the other kind of body scanning where you don't get that kind of um, feeling like you're turning into a stone Buddha. And I don't know, it was very, yeah, kind of hallucinatory things that at the time I wasn't focused on. But it's just very difficult to, to not get attached to those things, I think. And... Um, and along those lines, one risk, after the retreat, I was curious and was looking at some articles online and found uh, a criticism, someone that, someone that did the practice. I don't know if they were Zen. I imagine it was Mahayana, but um, they did one of their retreats and got involved with it a little bit. And they were being they were critical of a couple things, especially that this purity defilement thing, because a lot of the, the talks are about this body scan as a way of purifying the body of, um, of suffering, essentially. And 
they said that this turned into a lot of instructors that they had heard stories about or encounters was a lot of kind of paranoia about not wanting to interact with the new recruits, the teachers that would be there, and that they would have to use a separate set of dishes because of this purity thing. And I have no idea whether these are true. I I'm, I'm realize I'm kind of spreading like third-hand rumors at this point. Um, and to that extent, uh, if you read... Um, things about Zen centers, you can find all sorts of insane things. So hardly, you know, those people are worried about this, but we in Zen, it's, it's hardly that. But that this, there, there is some kind of risk even, you know, as you continue at the highest level in these practices. Um, so I think that Shikantaza for me is a bit of a way to not expect anything, even though I definitely do have still some kind of expectations. Um, it's sort of not avoidable, but I think it means something a little bit different to me now um, that was, uh, especially looking at it in terms of this book, which I really enjoyed, um, Realizing Genjo Koan. Uh, Genjo Koan is the first chapter in Dogen's Shobo Genzo, which is uh, Dogen, the founder of Soto, Lin, Soto Zen lineage. Um, Shobo Genzo is kind of his main uh, philosophical uh, work or uh, core, core ideas. He wrote lots and lots, so I don't want to say it contains everything because I have no idea. But Gendra Koan is the first chapter, and it's even kind of a summary of this. And this book is, is breaking it down very nicely and... Um, I wanted to read the first few sections of the Shobo Genzo. They're really just one sentence, but they're broken kind of into sections that I think kind of helped me understand this process of how I've gone from trying to attain to not attaining, but also trying to attain because I'm a human being. Um, so it begins, When all dharmas are the Buddha dharma, there is delusion and realization Practice, life and death, Buddhas and living beings. And this is a sort of summary according to this book, a kind of summary of the older teachings. Um, so Buddha's teachings really are, um, you know, that there's delusion and realization, there's practice in life and death, there's Buddhas, those that have escaped the cycle of life and death and living being, those, those that haven't. Um, and then the second section. When the 10,000 dharmas are without fixed self, there is no delusion and no realization, no Buddhas and no living beings, no birth and no death. And this is kind of a summary of the Heart Sutra, which the Heart Sutra, uh, according to both of these works, as far as I can tell, basically negates the earlier teachings completely, puts no in front of everything. Um which is quite strange, but the idea behind that is, um, again, as it mentioned here, I think, not being uh, attached to these things, um, that as soon as you start thinking that there's no self, you say, oh, great, there's no self, and then you get attached to a concept of no self, and it's not helpful. Um, so just trying to negate everything and putting emptiness, this category of emptiness, as first and foremost... Um, so the second section, the second sentence, the first one is kind of the older teachings. There's delusion and realization, practice in life and death. And then the second is the sort of negation that's also an affirmation of Buddha's teaching. 
Without self, there is no delusion and no realization, no Buddhas, no living beings, no birth, and no death. And then the third is the third section is kind of a synthesis of these two. Um, but it basically states the same thing as the first one. So this is sort of Dogen's commentary on the Heart Sutra. Since the Buddha way, by nature, goes beyond the dichotomy of abundance and deficiency, there is a rising and perishing delusion and realization, living beings and Buddhas. And the chapter where he discusses these three sections in this is titled, Is, Is Not, Is, which is kind of a common, I've heard Mado talk about it, but kind of a common um, way to think about uh, practice where you have, um, at first, you just think the world is as it is, uh, nothing special, you haven't begun to practice yet, you haven't begun to question and look into the nature of reality, so the world's just the world. And then you start meditating and you question, wait, maybe I'm not actually um, really in control in the way that I think. Maybe I'm actually creating more suffering than I realize. Maybe there is no self and everything's impermanent and all that we see is kind of an illusion. Uh, and then the third is, so is is not because you start to doubt everything. But then the, 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 the last stage is some sort of, you know what, things actually are just precisely as they are and that's the kind of magic in them. Um, and so this follows, I think, the progression, uh, what at least um, Okumura is saying in this, of is, is not, is, is following the progression of the teachings of Buddhism from the older traditions to the Mahayana traditions to Dogen's uh, teaching, which are in the Mahayana tradition of older Buddhists are trying to attain things and then the Mahayana Buddhists saying, no, if we get attached to attainment, we're doomed. And then Dogen's saying, well, it goes beyond. We're beyond both is and is not. And it's just what the world is as it stands. Um... And then the, the fourth section, which is the last, I'll just read part of this, um, I think helps me understand a little bit of the third is in some ways. It reads, Therefore, flowers fall even though we love them. Weeds grow even though we dislike them. Conveying oneself towards all things is to carry out practice and Conveying oneself toward all things to carry out practice enlightenment is delusion. All things coming and carrying out practice enlightenment through the self is realization. Those who greatly realize delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded in realization are living beings. And it's these last two sentences. Those who greatly realize delusion are Buddhas. Those who are greatly deluded in realization are living beings. And... Thinking again on some of Sokazan's teachings that I heard over winter break on Shikantaza, he was saying, sit still and just watch how the mind attaches, watch whatever moves. And doing this, I've started to get a sense of how the mind is so eager, anything that pops up, the mind is so eager to try to grasp onto and do something with. And I think the sense, um, I'm not sure, but, but what I'm 
working with for the moment is that that's all that there is, is the mind trying to grab on, desperately, desperately trying to grab onto things. And I think becoming aware of that process, which is also one of those grabbing onto things, is this sentence of, those who greatly realize delusion are Buddhas, realizing that we're just deludedly, desperately trying to grab onto things. And the, but we have to watch out for those who are greatly deluded in realization are living beings. So as soon as we're convinced that we've attained something, um, we're deluded there. But we can't escape, because we're human, we can't escape this delusion because that's just all that we kind of have to work with, this veil of maya that's covering over everything and sort of blocking up truth. Um, so I don't want to, as kind of a concluding thought, um, I don't think that I'm, I'm at the third is and now have figured anything out. Uh, although I do think that I've figured something out, but I, I try to keep in mind that there's um, a sense beyond and that there's also a kind of time, temporal component to the is, is not is, and that it's also a loop. <laughs> and that to keep us moving a little bit, to keep us guessing... Um, so I feel like I've come out of an is not and have settled on an is, and to me it makes it feel like I'm just sort of waiting for the next is not to pop up, um, which is part of impermanence and part of emptiness, and that they're not really different from each other because um, these cycles um, can't exist unless you can move from one thing to the next and then back to the other thing. So it's um, just something I think I'm going through through at the moment as opposed to a stopping point. Um, and with Shikantaza, yeah, I've realized that even when I'm not trying to attain this feeling of meta or this hallucinatory body scan or counting to 10 perfectly without any other thoughts, even when I'm doing my best to do absolutely nothing, I am still constantly at a very deep level um, trying to grab on to everything I can. And I just encountered the fire sermon from the Buddha, which I was not familiar with. I'm not sure what canon it belongs to, but he says, everything is burning, everything is on fire. The senses are all burning with lust and desire and attachment. That even at the level of the senses, um, there's such a sort of rabid attempt at attainment going on um, that sort of taking a step back and laughing at that uh, and sometimes I, you know, I have just laughed at myself when I'll hear that the faintest noise or the faintest thought will come up and how much thought this can produce and how much story this can produce and how um, it's just a lot going on um, all the time. So that's all I have. I think there's still a few minutes. Yeah, we got yeah. about three minutes. Okay. Any questions or comments? Thank you.